Father, that this, this Sunday is more than song. Father, I thank you, Father, that, um, Father, somebody as intelligent, as, as unintelligent as myself, Father, can, can be equipped by the power of your Holy Spirit to study your word and to declare your word today, Father. Would you make this bigger than any one person? Would you make this about yourself? Father, I thank you that, Lord, through, through some extra time this morning, Lord, the ability to meet a young lady that is, that is fighting cancer and beating cancer, Father, that, that you truly are an unstoppable God, Father, that this is not just song and the preaching of, of, a, of an old book, but, Father, this is the living word of God, the living spirit, Father. Would you move throughout this experience and would we be moved by the moving of your spirit you are big and we are not and so we declare your name above any other name in your powerful name jesus amen i uh i was thinking through wealth uh this week because of the nature of uh of this service and this experience and this series and uh i started thinking through uh that this whole subject isn't something something new I, uh, I Googled, this was my Google search this week, go ahead and throw it up, I, financial crisis of, and then I stopped, and then what was listed was date, or year after year after year after year, and all of these years, summer is recent, 2008, 2019, apparently it's a week and a half in, and we're already in a financial crisis, uh, then, then 1857, 2009 makes it, 37, 07, things of like that, like, I was like, I know of when, like, the mortgage stuff happened, I know of some of the struggles in my lifetime, I know of grandparents or great-grandparents or whatnot that have, that would speak of the depression and putting money in like pillowcases and in your mattress, things of that nature. But all of these other dates, I was like, I am D's get degrees, and so I don't have a clue what any one of these other dates are. And if you're more intelligent than I am, perhaps you know. And so I just randomly picked one. Uh, and so I picked the year 1837. I Googled 1837, and then I went on Wikipedia. And if you, Wikipedia is the most trustworthy source on the internet. And so here is what Wikipedia said. I don't know if it's a term paper quality, but I'm going to say it here. Wikipedia of the year 1873 said that there were several causes to this financial crisis. One, it was the post-Civil War inflation. I, in my thick skull, understood that that was post-Civil War. Okay, so that led to some issues. There was rampant speculation about the, the railroads. Okay, so there was a huge thing about going cross-country with the railroads. And then there was demonetization of silver in Germany and U.S. That led to a financial crisis. I'll be honest, I had to ask people what demonetization means because I was like, I hear people say that all the time and I don't, okay, but there's, that's a word, you can Google it. And then there's property losses in the Chicago and the Boston fires. So it led to people, to people losing their homes. And then it led to people overbuilding where things were, were getting replaced. It led to overbuilding areas of the country. It put a massive strain on bake reserves, which plummeted in New York City in 1973 by $30 million. Much of the craze in the railroad investment was driven by government land grants to the railroad companies, which involved large large sums of money with high risk 
And what they saw was they were investing all of this money into the railroads, but it took a long time for the railroads to develop, and so they invested all this money, and then they didn't get any return on their investment right away, which led to a crisis and a plummet. And as I sat through and I thought through this, haven't we seen in many of our lifetimes issues from 1973 play out in our lifetimes? Haven't we seen a railroad that crashes the market like we saw the dot-com crash? People putting a whole bunch of investments into some dot-com type things, and it didn't yield some of the returns that they thought they would. We've seen gas prices skyrocket after, after a hurricane, uh, Hurricane Katrina, I think, specifically that it was. We, we ha- is, is the railroad investments a reasonable correlation to, to our modern day in, uh, oil investments? Have we seen overbuilding even in downtown Tom's River with an apartment complex that's right in our backyard that still is like, there's like five cars outside that apartment complex. (laughs) Do we see overbuilding even in our own area that leads to some sort of an issue from time to time? And I think that this communicates anything is that the issue of wealth is something that we as a generation, we as a culture, we as human beings lack wisdom in, and it repeats itself over and over and over again. The main thought for us this morning that I want us to leave here with is that wisdom drives true riches. When you and I think about wealth, when you and I think about riches, what did we say last week? That the fear of the God is the beginning of all understanding. The, begin- the fear of God is what drives our wisdom. And so if we have the fear of God living inside of us, the wisdom of God, then that has to be true in our riches. And what, what, what Solomon will do throughout the book of Proverbs is he, he weaves this, and I think he's going to show us how it helps our perspective. It protects us against the pursuit, and it guides our practice. And so the first point and we're looking at a few different Proverbs because this isn't like picking one text and, and just kind of studying the one text. This is the, really the book of Proverbs and weaving wisdom through the book of Proverbs. And so the first point is that wisdom drives perspective. Our perspective on wealth better be affected by wisdom. He says this in Proverbs 8, 10 through 11. He says, take my instruction instead of silver. And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that that you may desire cannot compare with her. That is said in the command form that, that you should that you should take instruction, that you should know, that you should have knowledge of money, that, that that the wisdom that is in the command, that you should seek that more than silver, more than gold. That is in the command form. Why? Because that's what Solomon did. When Solomon was offered the world, what did he want? He didn't want riches. He wanted wisdom to rule people well. And so he lived this out. And the why the why, he says, like, why, am I, why am I commanding this? Why is because nothing compares to wisdom. Teach a man to fish perhaps is better than providing fish. Or maybe even better yet, if somebody's in need in front of you, maybe it's give them a fish, but also teach them how to fish. For, for me, don't, don't just buy me some stocks. Teach me how to invest my money. That, that type of wisdom is of greater value than, than the physical resource itself because over time it will grow. The, the, second, the second proverb, I, I want to read you two proverbs. It's, it's riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death, Proverbs 11.4. Whoever trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green 
leaf. You can't take any of the wealth that you're striving for with you. I've never met anybody on their deathbed or even heard of a real story of somebody on their deathbed saying, hey, spouse, go get my Lamborghini and park it outside the window so I can stare at it as I die. Hey, head down to the bank and pull out my millions, but do it in singles so I can lay in my deathbed with my millions. That is never said, right? But what is said is there's probably a small select few. I want these people here with me. The wealth that you're striving for, you cannot take with you. And Solomon is saying that this wealth that you think that you are accumulating gives you this false sense of security. You meet rich people that think they're above it all and they're good to go, that their money can get them out of any sort of trouble. Ask Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, how that's going for him with his divorce where he's going to lose half of his $166 billion. He thought he was above it because wealth was his God. If you trust in wealth, it will fail you. The fear of God, the wisdom of God says there is only one thing, and it is God himself who is unfailing. And so that is who we strive to glean and get wisdom from. Solomon will also say this in the book of Proverbs. He says, one, I love this, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth. But a poor man hears no threat. This pro, uh, Solomon is saying that at some level we're all pretenders on either side of the equation. I have met rich people that are the cheapest pe per people alive. They're acting as if they're the poorest people alive. Yet their bank account, they could do so much good with it. But they're pretending to be poor because they're just a cheapskate. And yet I have met Poor people acting like they're Kim Kardashian, and it makes no sense on the in the world because they're deceiving themselves. They're pretending. When is pretending ever associated with holiness? We're supposed to strive to be like Jesus, actually be like Jesus, not pretend. This is probably one of the only situations, what's mentioned in here is one of the only situations that, that perhaps is a benefit to being, being poor is he talks about the, the, these threats, but, but a poor man bears no threat. He, he's talking about that, that there are rich people and that because of their wealth that they're getting attacked for their richness, that, that, that they have money so they get sued and sued and hoping that there might be a settlement or something of that nature, but, but, but this, so they have unique legal woes. Solomon also goes on to say, Better is a litter with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is dinner of herbs uh, where love is than a fattened ox with hatred with it. And I, and I love this because what he's talking about here is this perspective, this perspective where, yeah, I might be able to afford a choice steak. Give me the red, red eye, not red eye, ribeye. Ribeye, is that the word for it? See, I don't really like, okay, that's not me, okay? Uh, and so, uh, so he says, give me a choice steak, but he's saying a choice steak with crappy company is a crappy meal. <laughs> but y'all eat a salad with good company, <laughs> and that's a good meal. I'd much rather head to Salad Works with people I enjoy than head to Ruth's Chris with people that annoy me. 
and the price difference between the two meals is astronomical. This is one of the things I, I love about going to West Virginia, where I, where I go with, with my wife back to her, her, the motherland of West Virginia. And, and one of the things I love about that is there's no hustle and bustle. That at the end of the day, what is of value to them is not going to this ritzy, glitzy restaurant, but sitting in a living room and just talking. And there's no cell phone reception, so they can't even be on their cell phones. Like, it's one of the only times in my year where I get to go and be with company of people and have physical conversation. My kids have to learn what that is when they're tied to their tablets. <laughs> and then this last proverb that shapes our perspective. It says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. But he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Solomon is talking about the enjoyments of life. And if you elevate things that are that lack virtue, lack justice, over wealth itself, in the end, you will be found wanting. He's saying the perspective is that we should love, love honoring God, not love wine, not love pleasure. If you love those things, at the end, you will be like a poor man. If wealth is your God, then here's what you should be striving for on earth. More and more and more wealth. <laughs> but if God is your God, then you do whatever you can to get more and more of God. And everything else works itself out. It's perspective. Perspective. I, I, had to, I heard this stat, and then I had to Google it to make sure that I was saying it to you, that it would be accurate. I heard this stat that 8% eight, eight of the world owns a car. And so when I was Googling and whatnot, a uh, little bit of Googling, it's probably somewhere between uh, 8 and 9%. So somewhere between 8 and 9% of the world owns a car. Now, I know we live in America. I know that there's, you, know, you can say whatever you want about the stat. But at the end of the day, if you drove to church today, somewhere between 92 and 91% of the human race considers you a pretty lucky person. Perspective. Perhaps many of ourselves think ourselves to be impoverished because of a lack of understanding about true poverty. Have you talked to the homeless among us that have been coming for the last few weeks? Perhaps we, we are quick to judge and quick to, to lay out our own, our, our own closed-minded thinking when, when we don't realize that last night with the snowfall, guess what? All of their earthly possessions were lost and now is moldy. They are now waking up with absolutely nothing but the clothes on their backs because all of their tents are now ruined and moldy with the snowfall. And many of us, even in our struggles, get to go home to something far different. Perspective is gained when we deal with reality, when we are a people that, that, that we are as a people, we're so easy to rationalize, we're so easy to, to create a self-serving perspective to go and to indulge ourselves instead of dealing with a proper reality, looking at the scope of mankind, looking at the scope of reality and saying that, you know what, perhaps I need to deal with this differently. When it, when it comes to budgets, I, I, I've, had a, I've, I've met with young people, a young person in particular that said, over the summer, I am going 
going to raise up. I am going to save $1,000 to meet this financial need in my life. And so as we're sitting across a coffee table, I said to this young person, that's awesome. You have three months to do that. So you're saying that in your budget, you have about $333 in excess every single month to get that $1,000. And, and this person was like, I think so. I'm pretty sure. And I said, well, let's test out pretty sure. And I pulled up my Google spreadsheet. And we just did something very simple, a simple shift. We put out everything this young man had to pay. We put in everything, he's, his income. And we found that he actually is probably going to owe money at the end of the summer. <laughs> and so we made, when we start, when we stop living in la-la land, when we gain a healthy perspective, then we can make better decisions. We can get a new job or strive for that raise. When we put things down and deal with reality. So here are some perspective questions. Why do you need what you're about to purchase? Or do I need what I'm about to purchase? What motivates this pur purchase? Am I financially rich but spiritually poor? Does the God of wealth or the true God inform my pursuit of finances? So that's the second point that I think Solomon weaves throughout the book of Proverbs, that, that wisdom drives our perspective. But then secondly, wisdom drives our pursuit. He says these two things that deal with the pursuit of treasures. He says, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. But righteousness delivers from death. That's in Proverbs 10. And then he says, the, the getting of treasures in and, and by, by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death in Proverbs 21. That you might gain, you might pursue riches by, by ill-conceived ill ways, by unethical means, but in the end you will not find fulfillment in life. Taking shortcuts and, 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 and trying to go unethical ways. Guess what doesn't, guess what you do not find in that? Security. Because now you've achieved success, you've achieved wealth by unethical means, and guess what? You live as a fake. You live, you might not have financial pressure, but you have the pressures of being found out every single day of your life. And if your pursuit is in unethical means, and you don't realize the presence of God in your life. You realize the uncertainty of will I get caught. The Solomon will go on to say, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 10, 4. Then he says, a wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Proverbs 13, 11. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Proverbs 20, 21. This proverb is not, Proverbs in general is not a promise. You cannot take any one, any one proverb and say, this is exactly how it's going to go for the rest of your life. Train up a child in the way that he or should go and blah, 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 blah. Like sometimes you train a child up well and they still go off and do stupid things. What Proverbs is saying is that more often than not, here's how things play out. More 
more often than not, you bust your hump and you're going to see a result to it. More often than not, if your hand is slack and you're lazy, you'll find yourself in poverty. Again, not in absolute. Poor people are not lazy people. That is not what Solomon is saying. But what he is saying is that it can be a result of being lazy is poverty. And that you and I need to work and grind and slowly build up financial stability. It's why there are few lottery winners with lasting wealth. It's what this proverb is talking about. It's talking about natural results. A natural result is if I, if I choose to be a, 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 you know, an older person living off my parents <laughs> and I have the means and the ability to, go, to get out of the basement <laughs> and go make an income and to provide for myself, then odds are that that type of a person that is grinding is able to be more generous. But the person trying to take a shortcut, whether it's living off of a system created by the government or a system created by parents or whatever, the system might be that those that they might lack generosity although there is a time and place for it if my kid is in need he's welcomed in my house if my kid is old enough I'm kicking him out and he's going to go and learn to earn his ways for himself and so are we generous or do we hoard and is it the result of the world and the system in which we have ourselves created Solomon goes on to say, where, I love this proverb, I love this, I love this, I love this proverb, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by strength of the ox. Now that's a weird proverb to love, I know y'all are judging me right now, but this is a judgment-free church. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. That is saying that, hey, I want, I want the reality of riches, but you know what? Oxen are stinky and smelly, and so I don't want oxen to be present. But in this day where grain and crops are needed, you have to deal with the mess to get the riches. That if you want to eliminate the oxen, sure, you're going to have to feed out less grain. Sure, your barn is going to be clean, but who's going to help you with the crops? But to see what you consider to be annoying is actually the strength of, of riches. That there's greater return on investment by, by having oxen to deal with the crops. This is, this is Solomon saying a modern-day version of spend money to make money. <laughs> but it requires us to think a little bit because he uses words that requires us to think. That we must attain the right equipment to get the best results. That is how you pursue and then, and then he says this to, the, with the last proverb about, about pursuit. He says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to, to assist. Google that word. I had to Google it too. When your eyes light up on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. There's two things that Solomon is, is, is concluding in these verses. He's, he's talking about this balance of life and this balance of focus. Are you striving after riches to the point of not resting? Or are you, are you, do you not discern when enough is enough and so you burn out? To achieve something with burnout is never enjoyable. There is never, there is, there is never anything good about burning out to achieve something. There is benefit to knowing when to rest. There is a reason why we work hard for six days and take a seventh day to rest. 
And not to say, I'm going to be lazy for six days and maybe work hard for one day. But to work hard and, and to say, there's a need for rest. But to know the balance of when enough is enough. But, but to be diligent. That's throughout the Proverbs. To, to focus in on, on not what is fleeting, but to focus in on what can last. So I think ultimately what, what, what Solomon is talking about when it comes to pursuit is that wealth gained through diligent effort teaches you and I character. That if we are to choose to be wise, then we are choosing to be diligent. Discipline. If you and I are, live disciplined lives, discipline is often the result of hard choices. Sometimes to live a disciplined life as I have my New Year's goal to lose weight means I'm not going to eat the Twinkie. I am disciplined in my life, making a hard choice. But desire, I desire to lose weight. I desire to be wise with my finances, but I don't want to have discipline. That is just theory. Desire without discipline is just theory. Desire without, or discipline without desire, think about that equation. Discipline without desire is just labor. I'm just grinding to grind. But discipline with desire is where you and I become the most productive. Desire, if you really desire something, it's going to be seen in your actions. Desire that meets discipline is when you choose to live on what you can afford, not being our Kardashian on a minimal wage income. We live on what we can afford, and if we don't like what we can afford, then we start to grind or we start to, to adapt to what is the reality before us. Or we come to the church when we are in genuine need because the church should be full of generous people that are not hoarding their wealth but are freely giving to others because that's what we're called to do. And so this is hard counsel. This is hard for you and I to see of ourselves. This will require other people to come alongside. Am, am, I, am I working so hard that I, that I forgo rest? Am I, am I, the way I spend my money, is it, is it laziness? Is it sloppy? Am I, am I being stiff-necked? Am I, am, I, am I hoarding? Or does I, do I need somebody else in their perspective to say, Jason, you should be more generous. Or Jason, here's the reality of your life. Because sometimes our own view becomes self-serving where we need the view of God, his perspective on our pursuit. I was at the gym two weeks ago, and uh, for you guys that started 2019 saying you're going to go back to the gym, there is some gym etiquette that is helpful for you to know right from the start. And, and I broke this etiquette because I love you, uh, because I was willing to sacrifice for you, because what happened was I, like, if you're on the gym floor, like, it's not really a place for conversation unless you're, like, working out with somebody else. Uh, and so, like, to, you know, stoke up, like, a conversation with some random stranger at the gym, like, like, come on, that's, like, we don't do that, okay? And we especially don't do that in the locker room. Like, in the locker room, it's always eye contact. You're not looking around. It's just <laughs> eye contact always. And it's not the place to, you know, to start a conversation with a complete stranger in the locker room. You, like, wait till the parking lot. Like, get in, do your workout, and get out. All right, but here I am, here I am in the locker room all by myself, and two gentlemen that apparently knew each other were talking, and they were talking about finances, and, I, and the way they were talking, all the words coming out of their mouth made it obvious to me that I'm like, I don't think they know Jesus, but they're talking about money, and I'm going to teach a series on money, and so I said to myself, 
my congregation needs to hear what these gentlemen are saying. And so I sat there and I eavesdropped, doing the, the Christian thing, because I love you. They thought I was a complete weirdo, but I love you. And I, I embraced the awkwardness. And, and here's the simple thing that they said about the pursuit of life and finances. The one gentleman simply said this, I know people with two houses, two homes, and guess what? They're broke. They have two homes and double the bills. They have just as little money as I do with my one home. They, they, they got the paycheck and went to the max, and now there is still no margin in their life. That they now have double the, the struggle because they try to double their, in, their, not only double their income, but double their bills. Has the pursuit of more left you as broke as you were when you had little? Is more stuff unless God brought you the lasting happiness that you have wanted? Is your financial pursuit uh, 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 to worship, are you pursuing the worship of God or the worship of wealth? And then ultimately, the goal of your pursuit will inform then your practices. And that's the last thing that I think Solomon is addressing in the, per, in, in the, in the realm of, of wealth when it comes to uh, wisdom. He says, wisdom, yes, drives perspective. Wisdom will drive our pursuit. And then lastly, wisdom will drive the practice of our wealth, the practice of what we do with our finances. He, he says this, whoever oppresses the poor to end increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. This is the anti-Robin Hood approach to life, to oppress the poor, to make myself feel better, or to have wealth, but to give it to rich people as if they, to, to do one thing. There is only one reason to do any one of those things, image. You care more about your image than you do people. The, the second proverb that I want us to consider is, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? The, the, simple, the simple practice of, of your finances, are you living in la-la land? If you say, I can afford this car or I can afford this purchase, is, does your bank account match that statement that you and I are not going to be sloppy with our finances, but we're going to know darn well if I buy this car and the insurance that's associated with it, the gas that's associated with it, that my bank account says I can afford this. That is knowing the condition of your herd and being diligent with your resources to be productive with your resources. And to not get to the point where we feel like we no longer have to work. Because even Bill Gates is working on his foundation. But to keep grinding with rest so that we can be generous people. That is the practice of wealth. He says this, he says, where Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Do you seek to be rich quickly that you lose sight of the blessing? 
that, that in your pursuit, in your drive, I, I know of one person. I'll mention this more specifically next week, so act like you're surprised when you hear this next week. I know of a person that is grinding, that has quit cigarettes, and is saving $10 a week, or $10 a day, what, they, what this person was spending on cigarettes. Now she is saving $10 a day, so at the end of the year she has more money than she had before. And she's going to be able to buy a car. Could she go out and, and take out a loan? Yes, she might be able to, to get what she wants quickly. But she's grinding every single day. She will know the blessing of saving and discipline in this approach. And in the end, when she's not paying interest, she will have more. So do we seek God in, in our practices or do we look for a quick way out? He says this, it's, uh, it's, it, honor the Lord with, with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. That the practice of offering God a portion of, uh, of our wealth acknowledges God as the source and the provider. It means that when you and I think about our resources, that that, that who is of utmost, report, of utmost importance? Is it ourselves or is it God? And so the practice of, of giving of our first fruits says that, God, this money isn't of myself. Yes, you've given me the ethic and the know-how on how to grind, where to grind, and what to do in the grind, but, God, this money comes from, from you. And so I'm not going to live in the fantasy that I am my own God of wealth, but God, you are the God that provides. And so I give back to you. A person that is acknowledging God will not live in la-la land, will not, will not look to say, well, guess what? I, I am going to have a job that makes $250 a week, but I'm going to be okay with $450 a week in bills. That if that is, if I'm living in la-la land, then I'm going to say, well, it will all work itself out. No! Perhaps we need to look at reality and, 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 and look to God for wisdom to change said reality. Perhaps we, we need to let, when we look at our reality and stop living in la-la land, perhaps we need to let our priorities dictate how we handle our finances. And if priorities are of God, then we're going to handle our money in a God-honoring way. We will practice that. And if God is our God, then guess what he's going to inform us in wisdom? He will inform us to know when enough is enough. And stop striving for more and more and more and more and more. Because you'll strive that endless rat race for the rest of your life. We as Christians call on the name of Jesus. And we see him as enough. And so whatever money comes my way, I'm able to be generous with it. Because God is enough. Ava and I, last year, we, we as a church preached through our values. We, we, we talked about generosity within those values. And, and one of the things we said as a church was that, that when it comes to our families and when it comes to us as individuals, that, that we should let God fuel our values. And so we, I encourage you guys in that sermon, to, I challenge you guys to come up with an individual or a family mission statement and then with some values. And whenever a decision came to your family, that you would funnel it through that mission statement and those values. And so Ava and I wanted to lead by example, and we did that. And so we said the Coash family is a family fueled by faith. And then we identified five values. Faith will fuel our family relationships. Faith will fuel our financial stewardship. Faith will fuel our friendships. Faith will fuel our fitness. And faith will fuel our fun. 
He wanted to strive after all of that through the confines of faith. And so Ava and I came to a point where Landon wanted to do karate. And I grew up with, like, baseball and, like, soccer and, like, things like, I don't know karate and MMA, uh, but my son wanted to do that. And so it was a real shocker to me when I went to sign him up and they gave a price tag to join a, a karate gym. If you've ever been a part of a karate gym, it, it's, it's, well, it's not cheap. And, and so I was like, buddy, I don't know. I had to talk with Ava and, and say, listen, like, this is going to be a huge investment. Can we make it work? We didn't want to live in la-la land and just be like, sure, we'll make it work. We wanted to look through our budget and say, can we make this work? Not in la-la land, but in reality. And we said, no, we can't afford this. We would have to change our priorities to afford this. And so we looked through our budget, and, and one of the things that, that we looked at is, well, well, we have somebody that helps us clean our house. And, well, a house cleaner isn't, isn't in our family values. And so Eva and I looked at it and said, we're going to teach our kids what hard work is. We're going to teach them how to do chores. We're going to teach them how to make a buck. And so we said, okay, bye-bye cleaning lady. And hello, karate gym. And hello, Saturday mornings, where we're cleaning poo out of toilets. <laughs> and so on Saturday mornings, the Koesh family wakes up and cleans toilets. Jordan, who lives with me, he even cleans a toilet from time to time. Because that was of greater priority. That was of greater priority than the antithesis. We wanted to make a wise financial decision, and not try to do it all, but to say that we're going to do what it takes, that, that fitness is important to us and a cleaning, a cleaning help isn't. And so we made a decision based on our priorities. So we value simplicity. That's one of the values here. Keep it simple the end. If you want to lose weight in 2018, well, work out and eat less. It's really that simple. If you, if you want to budget and save money in 2018, well, then budget and spend less than you make, and you'll save money. It's kind of that simple. And, uh, and so here's one of the things I want, to, I want to encourage you guys to consider. It's what Ava and I use. And if you've ever had a conversation with me, you can go to that next picture of every dollar. If you've ever had a conversation with me either in marriage counseling or around a coffee table like this, I've encouraged you with this app called Every Dollar. This isn't mine, so don't judge me. This is not mine. And uh, all the judgment coming up here. Because uh, pet care, who has hair, who has time for that? And, uh, and so... But this is every dollar. And what I love about every dollar, and I'm sure other apps do it as well, but this is an app where I can see it in real time where I'm like, okay, if I'm going to buy this off of Amazon, is it in the budget? And I can pull up the budget and look at it. And what I love about it is there's percentages. That if, if Ava and I decide that we want to give X amount to, to, to the church, or if we want to have X amount of money be towards lifestyle, a percentage, then guess what? If there's a raise, I'm not... What, what changes is not so much that, oh, great, now, now we've gotten a raise. Now we're going to throw millions at the lifestyle. But rather, if it's all based on percentages, increased income moves everything up. And so I'm a big advocate of, of a percentage-based budget because I think that more reflects what our priorities are. And so wisdom drives true riches. It drives our perspective, it drives our pursuit, and it drives our practices. And so are, is your definition of wealth, is my definition of wealth, is it in line with God's definition of wealth? Do you and I, do we dishonor God when it comes to wealth 
because of how we treat wealth. And so I have two challenges for us this week. I have two challenges that I want to put before us. The band can come, come back up now. Is, is The first one is I want you to take go on a date, whether it's with a friend or whether it's with your, your spouse or someone that you're dating. But I want you to go on a date. But ahead of time, I want you to say, I'm only spending $10. That we together, whether it's a friend or whether it's a loved one or maybe it's a person you just met on your walk in, you're welcome. I want you to go out on a date for $10 because I think what it will do is it will teach you creativity. It will teach you how you can, uh, how you can stretch a dollar. So go on a date this, this week for $10. And then secondly, next week, I'm going to ask that we as a church bring in clothing to give away camping supplies to give away. And to next week, I want to flood a table outside there with tents, with camping supplies, with clothing, because there is a group of people that last night lost it all. And there is many of us that are going home to excess. Could we bring in some of our excess next week to give to the homeless that are among us? Let's sing one more time. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.